So the topic of this message is justified by faith alone through the blood of Jesus Christ alone. If you take away faith, uh, we are not justified in the eyes of God. And if it's apart from anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, we will also not be justified in the eyes of God. So looking at Matthew 17, 20, uh, so Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So this begs the question is simply uh, having faith enough to justify us in the eyes of God. And what is even the need to be justified? Um, but what we're going to be looking at is that the particular faith that we hold is of absolute value. Because if it was just having a sincerely held belief, you could choose any religion. You could choose Buddhism, you could choose Hinduism, you could choose Islam, or you could choose Christianity. But there's a very important problem that we need to address, and this is the problem of sin. Uh, there are two definitions biblically of sin, which can be to contort or to pervert um, something that God had intended for good. Um, and the second definition is to fall short of. All of these are a problem. We could see it in the world that we live in. We hear terrible stories all of the time from corruption to horrible things done to other individuals, to children. Um, so knowing that there is an issue of sin, we have to first ask ourselves the question, who is a sinner? Now, Psalm 14 verses 1 through 3 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Um, it is very obvious from this psalm that each and every one of us falls into this category um, of being a sinner, of falling short of the glory of God, of of having become corrupt and not doing good. And then further we see in 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So just to reiterate what we've established is that each and every one of us is indeed a sinner. Um, we have fallen short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This begs the question, why is sin an issue? Because for me, from my personal perspective, sin might not be a very big issue. But it's not our perspective that matters. It is the holy and righteous God uh, to whom, through whom and for whom all the earth and the heavens were created. Um, it's important to see what the holy God thinks about sin. So God's attitude towards sin, as we see in Psalm 5, 4 to 6, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. Um... Again, nor shall evil dwell with you. God cannot even be present with evil. He is perfect and holy. He is insurmountably perfect and cannot even dwell with wickedness. He cannot look upon it as we see in Habakkuk. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. 
O rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? So we're getting a very clear picture about the Lord's attitude towards sin. He cannot even look upon sin. So we come to a very difficult conundrum, given the fact that we've ascertained that we are sinners, and God deals very unfavorably with sin, and he can't even behold it. He can't look upon it. So then comes the revelation of God's judgment, and this is where we're going to pick up in Romans 1. So first, understanding that we are all sinners. All of us have fallen short of God's perfect standards. And all of us, by God's righteousness, are deserving of death. We're deserving of eternal punishment, meaning separation from God. Because if God cannot behold wickedness, he cannot look upon it, and he cannot dwell with it, that means that there would need to be a separation of us and God, because we have, all, we have determined that we are sinners. And all of us have sin within us. So starting in Romans 1, 18-23, um, we see the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because all they knew, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping. So the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now, it's not wrath that is revealed to a people that have no concept of their sin. First, when we see that they suppress the truth and unrighteousness, what this means is that the knowledge is beheld, but yet the truth is suppressed. And we know that when we engage in sin, our morality is darkened and our hearts are hardened. So left to our own sinful ways, we would continue in sin, growing increasingly more wicked. Um, so they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And the, it, it's a beautiful thing that God has done in terms of his revelation. Everything about God is manifest to them. Since the creation of the world, everything that he's made, the heavens, the earth that we stand on, things of the glory and of the perfection of God, being clearly understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, the things that are invisible about him are understood by the things that have been made, so we are without excuse. Additionally, when it, when it talks about we are without excuse, uh, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to the end. So, when it says that he has put eternity in their hearts, when we look through history, every single group of individuals has searched for eternity. For example, Ponce de Leon, searching for the fountain of youth and immortality. This is something that every single individual ponders. We, could, we have this concern with eternity. Um, so we have a couple of things happening. So we know that we are sinners. We know that God judges sinners. 
and we have this longing for eternity, we see everything that God has made and everything that God has created and how far short we fall from God. Um, so when we decided to rebel against God, one of the things that we, we, we need to be sure that we do not make the mistake of is that it's not as though God forced us to go and do things of unrighteousness. All of the actions that it mentions throughout Romans 1, 24 to 28, um, are actions of releasing. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. In the same in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. And, and in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. All of the things that are happening here is that humans crave independence from God. In the same way, since the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve consumed of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, it was this longing for independence of God. And God's response is he gave them over. If you want to continue in sin, continue to do as you will. But they were receiving in themselves the due penalty for their actions. Um, and then it ends with Romans 1, uh, about all of, our, all of us who practice iniquity, knowing the righteous judgment everything that we've seen, from everything that he's made understandable, that those who practice such things are deserving of death. We've talked about how God cannot look upon iniquity. So in our natural state, we are deserving of death and eternal separation. But not only do they do the same, but they approve of those who practice these evil deeds. So then comes the main point that sinners deserve death, um, which is Another way of saying eternal separation from God. We do not want to retain the knowledge of God. We are deserving of separation from Him. So then the, the idea comes that someone must pay for our sin. In the same way, in a prison system, um, justice must be served. Time must be served out. Um, there must be someone to pay for their iniquity. And there's really only two options when it comes to paying for our sin. Either we are going to pay for our sin, but Jesus pays for our sin. Um, so God, the, we, we read in Romans 1 about how the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. And he will pour out his wrath on sin. Uh, for every single sin that was committed, judgment will be brought forth. So there are two options. Either we pay or Jesus pays for our sin. Um, so the first question we could ask ourselves is, like, well, if I decide to not go the Jesus route and pay for sin, myself, what if I can work and earn my salvation and I pay for it myself? Um, it says in Isaiah 64, 6, but we are like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So this is our righteousnesses. This is us at our best in our sinful state. We're like filthy rags. Um, I won't go into detail about those filthy rags, but it is like the dirtiest thing on the face of the earth. Um, and and then in Romans 4, 4, and to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. If we were able to live perfectly fulfilling the law and not breaking a single commandment, it wouldn't be great. We wouldn't be saved by grace. We wouldn't be uh, given a favor. It would be debt to us because we would have fulfilled the entirety of the law. And salvation and being with God in glory would be owed to us. Um, but there's a caveat. In James 2.10 it says, For whoever shall keep the whole law 
and yet stumble in one point is guilty of all. Mm. We would be labeled amongst the transgressors um, as transgressors and are guilty of the entirety of the law. In the same way, if you're being tried for murder, it doesn't I've, matter how many stumbled in more than one point. point. Mm-hmm. The point still stands that had the murder yeah. been committed, you are a transgressor, irregardless of the good things that you have done. So then begs the question, because um, this is very dreary news, right? And when we hear the gospel, the gospel means good news. But the praise God that there was very bad news before there was very good news. So then, in, in terms of scripture, how is sin paid for? Well, Hebrews actually outlines this. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats, with water, scarlet, wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without shedding of blood there is no remission there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Now, the blood of these goats and these calves and these animals were never capable of taking away sin. They were a temporary covering of what was to come. But the, the point remains that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now comes the incomprehensible love of God. So we've ascertained we are so unrighteous, we're sinners, Sinners are worthy of the judgment of God, and uh, in order to forgive sins, there needs to be blood. But unfortunately, the blood of goats and calves can't take away sin, so then what possibly could happen? And that's when we have Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when we are sinners, we are enemies of God. We are literally the ones that nailed him to the cross. We are the ones that are worthy of death. And while we are his enemies, Christ died for us. And uh, which goes on to this mechanism of how sin is paid for, because there needed to be the shedding of blood. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What this is is something called imputed righteousness. That means someone else is righteous, and they impute righteousness onto another. Um... And uh, in John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, um, the idea of imputed righteousness, or uh, uh, receiving the forgiveness of sin, uh, is outlined in Romans 4, 1 to 8. So, um, when we talk about what Scripture says, it says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, in verse 3. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt, as we reviewed. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from work. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So this idea of imputed righteousness involves believing on him who justifies the ungodly. Meaning, it's not as though we have done something that makes us worthy of of 
of salvation, of grace, but this idea of imputed righteousness, meaning that God has done an amazing work. And to us who believe in him, God imputes righteousness to us. So instead of seeing our sin, he sees the righteousness of Christ and what has been done for us. Which leads to, verses 7 and 8, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. We went over that lawless deeds cannot be forgiven without the shedding of blood. So when we have the imputed righteousness of Jesus, our lawless deeds are forgiven and our sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. And still it's, it's reiterated here in verse 28. I'm just going to read verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. There is no amount of uh, things that we can do. There is no work that we can do to make us righteous for God. Because if we break one of the laws, we are guilty of all and we are labeled as transgressors. So then comes the beauty of the receiving of grace. It is outlined in Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The work has been done for us by the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross. That is the perfect work of God that uh, takes away sin. Because, again, the blood sacrifice is made. There is blood that is able to cover us. Because when blood is shed, sin can be forgiven so long as the one whose blood is shed is perfect, is righteous. Because then the wrath of God is appeased and poured out onto Christ. And righteousness is imputed onto us. To be received by faith, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not an additional work. It's not like I said this prayer 25 times. It's not like I, I, I helped this many homeless people. It is simply confessing that Jesus is Lord and believing your heart that God raised you from the dead, you are saved. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Without faith in Christ, nothing atones for our sins. The wrath of God hangs over us as we've ascertained that God must punish sin. He cannot dwell with sin. Something must take or someone must take that punishment. But when we have faith in Christ, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Why? The wrath of God is taken by Christ on the cross. And I know we only have a few minutes left. So what that leads to, when we have trusted Christ, we have been made new. Our unrighteousness has been poured out onto Christ, and the Lord has declared us righteous. So... Paul actually makes this charge in Romans 6. So should we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. How can us who have died to sin still live in it? So what should our response after receiving this mercy and this grace that God has poured out? Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I'm going to pause there. So we have been cleansed, redeemed, and justified by the blood of Christ, so let us lay aside every weight. 
We ought not run back to the sin that God had to rescue us from, the sin that brought condemnation and separation from God. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. When you think of the word ensnare, like a bear trap, if a bear steps in a trap, it gets ensnared and it's incapable of moving away. In the same way, sin is not something that stays in one part of our life, and it says, oh, I have a righteous life, but I do have sin in this one little tiny area. Sin is like cancer. It metastasizes. It spreads. It ensnares us. But praise God, when we look to Jesus, we have a mediator. We have someone that's able to sympathize with our weakness that has never sinned, who cleanses us from all of our sins, um, which is why it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our mm -hmm. sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So then, additionally, once we have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and we have been saved and we have peace with God, it outlines in Romans 6, 13 to 14, do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. When it says present your members, imagine when you're going to sin, if you go to sin, that means you're taking your legs, you're taking your feet, you're taking your hands, you're taking the brain that God has given you, all to go and sin. Um, in some other, in translations in some other languages, makes it so clear. Present your members as instrument of righteousness, every part of your body, your fingers, your hands, your time, your mind, all of these as instruments of righteousness to God, that the Lord may use us. For sin shall not have dominion over you. We have been freed from the law of sin and death that brought condemnation, that separated us from God, that made us deserving of eternal separation and judgment from Him. Sin shall not have dominion over you, for we're not under the law, but under grace. We are covered and washed. Um, I believe, yeah, that's the last slide I have. I did speed some things up for the sake of time. So the conclusion is, uh, in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. What we are deserving of, what we are owed because of our unrighteousness, God cannot look upon sin, is eternal separation from him. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord to be received by faith. So if we go back to the very beginning of the message, we are saved by faith through the blood of Jesus Christ. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible for us to access Him. He can't even look upon us. But because of the fact that Jesus died on the cross, we have His imputed righteousness. And God declares us free from all sin and His children forever and ever. Amen. Good job, TJ. We pray. Mm -hmm. Amen. Thank well, you, thank TJ. You. Thank you all so much for joining. God bless you richly and have a wonderful day. God bless you all. Bye. Good Bye. job. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Okay. Nice. Mm -hmm.
He did a good job first yeah. time preaching, don't you yeah. think? Mm -hmm. It's articulate and 